This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Green light 3-0 and she's gone! Hello, welcome to The 3-0 Show. I'm Britt Giroli, here with Eno Saris. We are missing, as always, Derek Van Riper. Finish up a little bit of his paternity leave. It is Thursday. We have two Thursdays left of regular season baseball as we record this. You know, we are definitely getting down to the wire. September 21st, the regular season, the lights at the end of the tunnel. Uh, We're going to get into who's hot. We're, of course, going to dissect really the two races left, the National League wildcard, the American League West title, uh, which is constantly um, flipping hands. We're going to talk about who's not, who's not, who's hot, who's not. Does September matter? I feel like a Dr. Seuss rhyme. Uh, and then we're also going to get into rookies that you might not have heard of because the game gets younger and younger. There are so many young guys coming up. Not everyone's going to get the Corbin Carroll, Gunnar Henderson treatment. That There's still so many good guys to watch. You can probably pick one or two out from virtually every team. Some teams, certainly more than that. But honestly, you know, if you could field an under 25 team, I mean, you're talking about some of the best guys in baseball right now, which is nuts. Uh, we're going to get into the Braves. Ronald Acuna chasing down really special history. Uh, as we are recording this, he remains on the precipice of 40-70. He has 39 home runs, 67 steals. He will definitely join that 40-40 club with the next home run. I'll be in D.C. tonight. Hopefully he does it. If not, Patrick Corbin is pitching tomorrow. That seems like a pretty good <laughs> Seems like a good uh, matchup. <laughs> uh, I didn't say it. Someone in Atlanta did, but they are not wrong. Uh, you know, I want, let's start with September because we're in it right now. We've got what, 10 games to go, more or less, 11 days to go, more or less, in this regular season. Mm-hmm. So much is still yet to be decided. We've seen some slides. We've seen some teams get hot. All right, the Padres, a little too late, but the Blue Jays, winners of five straight. The Braves, sliding now, losers five of six. How much, in your opinion, does September matter? You know, I'm, I'm tempted to say not at all. Uh, there it has been some research that links uh, September records to uh, and regular season records to uh, postseason winning percentage. And if you look at something like regular season win percentage to postseason win percentage, it's about three times stronger than September. And that makes sense. I mean, you're talking about a bigger sample. You're talking about how good was the team over the course of the season versus over the course of 30 days. But if you look at something like September win percentage to postseason series wins, zero correlation. So I'm tempted to say there's nothing here at all. The only thing that makes me worry a little bit for the Braves is there have been a lot of games in division. And I'm not sure, you know, if, you know, this captures that that sort of saying there's zero correlation captures everything. Consider the fact that the Braves have been playing the Phillies a lot. And that seems relevant because the Braves are going to play the Phillies again in the postseason, most likely, you know. Uh, And so if that happens... Uh, you know, there's a similar thing going on with the Brewers and Cubs. Uh, you know, if if the postseason started today, the Brewers and Cubs would finish in Milwaukee uh, the regular season, and then the Cubs would just stay there and play the next wild card series against the Brewers in Milwaukee. Uh, I believe that's that's how uh, it lines up right now. So, uh, 
you can't say that there's no meaning at all to the fact that the Phillies seem to be matching up well against the Braves. And so that is the only thing I'm at all worried about. I would still say that uh, the Braves look like the presumptive World Series favorite out of the National League. I don't. I wouldn't take that away from them just because of uh, a little uh, small cold streak. You know, another thing that happens in September that makes things all messed up is like... Um, you know, you keep Charlie Morton out of one series in order to pitch him in the next series. Or let's say you rest Charlie Morton and you don't get as many Charlie Morton stats as you normally do because you want him ready for the postseason, right? Think about the last week, this last week we're about to do. Think about how many TBDs there are in the schedule in terms of pitchers, right? There's just going to be, oh, we're going to give him an extra day of rest. Clayton Kershaw, we're going to skip him once, you know? And so that leads to losses maybe in September, but it's all about setting up for the postseason so not yeah not completely not worried but mostly not worried i agree with everything you're saying i'm going to push back a little though because in the history of the world series and just in the playoffs in general it's not always the best team that wins mm -hmm. i think we can all agree on that yeah. it's the hottest team that wins so i'm not worried about the braves right now but as they get into a four-game series here with the nationals and then they go home i'm worried if they play like crap for the rest of the time, it's okay to have a bad series, a bad two series. We saw that with the Orioles recently as well. But then they go and they win two of three in Houston. They came within a run of sweeping in Houston. Mm -hmm. I think for the Braves, you have to have a bounce back series here, right? You have to still be playing good baseball, even though you're really not playing for much. Though, honestly, they're still playing for home field advantage, mm -hmm. which I would argue is a huge deal. Do you want to go? You want to go to LA more than you have to with 50,000 people? No, you don't. Uh, do you want to go to Baltimore if you make it to the World Series? And you know you don't. You want the home field advantage. Yeah. So they are, they do have things to play for still, and they have individual accomplishments. Matt Olson just a tear with the home run record right now. Acuna, as we mentioned, one homer shy of reaching hey, that forty forty club could be forty seventy. Bold predicted here that he would get a hundred combined. By yours truly, you finally got one right. You did. <laughs> but, Take your victory lap. Uh, Spencer Strider, if he wins on Sunday in the start against DC, he could be a 20-game winner. He's sitting at 18 right now with two starts to go. So there is a difference between resting guys and being flat-footed. I think, in yeah. the postseason, right? I see. Okay, I, I, I'll take what you're saying, but the, the way I would I would respond is saying that there are different ways to be hot. Um, and I would say that one of the ways to be hot is to be healthy, right? Or to be not. And so you might, like, I, I'll give you that maybe the Dodgers aren't as hot as they were early in the season uh, because when you look at their rotation for the postseason series, it's going to be Bobby Miller and... Let's hope Clayton Kershaw is throwing 90 and, you know, and then we're just going to put Pepio and Lynn together and see what happens. Um, so uh, that to me would be not hot going into the into the postseason. Whereas when I look at the Braves, I'm like, well, Max Fried came back. Uh, Charlie Morton's pitching, you know, is pitching healthy. So, like, I would say that that uh, rotation lines up pretty well. They haven't lost anybody in their lineup. So, I don't know that, like, you know, being hot hit, hits-wise or singles-wise or stuff like that matters as much as um, being a good team because everyone's healthy. Yeah, that makes sense. But certainly when it comes to the wild card race, I think being hot could, could be the difference between – being the wild card and sitting home, mm -hmm. right? Padres, as we tape this, winners in seven straight, they're all done. It's too little too late. Had this happened in August, we'd be sitting here saying, 
They're Maybe back the Padres in are in, yeah. right? Here they go. Uh, but you look at Toronto, as I mentioned in the intro, winners of five in a row, uh, kind of thrust themselves back into this AL wildcard race in, in a really meaningful way. Uh, they beat the Yankees last night. Good start by Kevin Gossman. I watched a little bit of that game. Terrible strike zone on both sides. Uh, but I think momentum for a team that is fringy can really catapult you, especially right now this time of the year, right? If you... I've heard teams explain this before, and it holds true when you think of some of the wild card teams who have had deep runs. If you are scratching and clawing, every game feels like a World Series game the last week or two of the season. Then you get in. Now you're playing in a best of three wild card. Every game is the World Series, right? So you keep that mentality and you keep grinding and grinding. There is something to be said for that and that mentality, I think, especially for a team that isn't guaranteed to make it. Yeah, I also think of of something that Billy Bean once said, which is that if you just by staying in it and keeping your team intact um, and not selling, that there's something that happens after the deadline where the bad teams get worse. And so there's more wins on the table after the deadline. Um, And that's not exactly what happened in the AL East. But the Yankees are, you know, have jettisoned their veterans, um, have, you know, put a bunch of guys on the IL and are not funda- are fundamentally a different team than they were pre-deadline in terms of uh, now they're playing all their rookies and, and, and trying to see what they've got. The Red Sox, to some extent, doing the same thing with Rafaela out there. It's exciting. I like those young players. But, um, you know, the interdivision games that the Blue Jays are playing uh, may not all uh, be as difficult as we would have thought uh, going into the last month. And so what I think what you're seeing in a weird way is that the AL West is is tighter because the A's in a weird way have gotten better because they're, they're playing more of their young guys. They've, they're not playing as many of their veterans. And in that case, it's good because their veterans are pretty bad. Um, and so what you've got with the A's is they're getting better. Um, and the A's, the 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 national, the a- American League West is so strong and and is going to be so tight down the down the the pike that I think the Blue Jays have vault- vaulted themselves into almost a definite spot. And now we're talking about uh, the AL West as two out of three uh, are going to make it in. Um, and that's, uh, that's how I kind of see it right now is like, I'm in my mind, the blue Jays are in and the Astros, Rangers and Mariners, they're fighting for the division and, uh, and the loser of the division gets, uh, the wild card. And one of those teams is not in. And it's, it's kind of sad because the Astros strong team is always, uh, the Rangers, the rabbit of the season, uh, and the Mariners, the, uh, the turtle of the season, I guess they're the, they're the, 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 the most the hottest lately. Um, yeah. It's kind of sad to me that one of those teams uh, wouldn't won't make the postseason. But you've got to have that, otherwise, uh, otherwise you just have bad teams in the playoffs. So, you know, I'm glad that yeah. there there it's- is a race there, and I think it's mostly in the AL West. Totally. I mean, as we sit here, Tampa Bay commanding lead in the wild card. They're up eight and a half. They're making the playoffs. Yeah. They're just still fighting for the AL East. I don't think they lost Wednesday night to Anaheim. It's going to take a hell of a run by Tampa Bay and also a lot of luck because the Orioles are up two and a half games. The I think Orioles they really also, needed to uh, sweep Baltimore in that well, Yeah, the Orioles also hold the tiebreaker, which would have yeah. been an important thing. And the Orioles, so really, ser- the Orioles' last 10 games are easier. So, Yes. Yes. So that to me means it's probably going to be Tampa Bay for that first wild card. As you said, Toronto winners five in a row. They're one game up right now. 
85 and 67 as we record this. Seattle, 84 and 68. Texas, 84 and 68. Houston, 85 and 68. It is absolutely going to be a fascinating race because it's an easier path as a division oneer. It's a much easier path. You don't have to deal with that wild card round. As we said, you can rest guys. You know, it becomes a little bit more um, strategical and how you set things up versus the wild card. Mm -hmm. So I agree with you. I think two of those teams are going to get in. Barring a collapse here, I think Toronto's playing with a lot of confidence. I think I agree with you. I think they're probably going to get in as well. Uh, if I had to pick a team that was going to get in, I'm going to say Seattle because I picked them as my World Series team. So let's keep them alive a little bit longer. But how devastating would it be if Texas misses the playoffs after all of this? Yeah, it's going to be rough. One thing that is in Texas's favor is that they're getting healthy. Uh, we, talk, we just talked about how that's related yeah. to being hot. So Josh, uh, Josh Jung had his... Uh, first homer post uh, IL stint. Evan Carter is playing really well in that outfield as a replacement for Adulis Garcia, and Garcia's back now. So uh, that's a really formidable lineup. But as good as their lineup is, their bullpen is bad. And uh, their starting pitching is, is, is decent, but their bullpen is pretty bad, and it's cost them. I think they've uh, converted something like four out of 16 saves uh, their last 16 saves and uh, Will Smith is imploding and 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 Aroldis Chapman has no command so it's uh it's a tough time there and I could see that happening um but that one's so tight in the in the National League I feel like uh it's almost a two-team race at this point the Giants uh, everyone's writing their epitaphs um and uh the Marlins uh, maybe it's a three three for one uh, race here. The Marlins, the Cubs, and the Reds all have seventy nine wins. Uh, next up is the Giants at seventy six. I think that's I think that's uh, that's it for them mostly. So Cubs, Reds, Marlins. Uh, one of them makes it. Who you got? Uh, this is really tough for me. I think. Listen, if the Cubs don't make it, their season's going to be defined by a collapse because mm, they, they looked like a near favorites, lock, yeah. right? Yeah, they looked like a near lock for a little while. It looked like they were just going to come away with the division. And then the Brewers really pulled ahead. Right now, I think they're kind of on the outs. I'm going to go with the Reds and the Marlins. The Marlins have been intriguing, right? They have played – what really has been disappointing, though, with the Marlins is this past series, they haven't been able to really get it together. So um, I'm going to go – with the Marlins, I think they're a good story. I think what Skip Schumacher has done there has helped to change the culture. Their pitching has always been there, that young pitching we've all salivated over. We've just been waiting on the offense. And if you notice, Jazz Chisholm has got going here. He seems to be kind of a, a, a real igniter, not just personality and star power-wise, but when he's doing well, they're doing well for the most part. And, and they've gotten some good offensive contributions. They did a nice job upgrading the lineup a little bit at the trade deadline. Uh, Jake Berger has been good for them, a really good ad. So I'm going to go with them. I don't feel great about any of these teams. I think whoever makes it will probably get pummeled in that first um, in that first NLDS, whoever emerges out of there. There's just such a big divide, I think, between the division winners in the NL and this wild card race. Um, the Reds would be a great story. Joey Votto might be his last year, right? Might be his last homestand. So that tugs at the heartstrings there a little bit. And the Giants have kind of been dead in the water. And I know you wanted to elaborate because people have said that they're boring, right? Yeah. And we've talked about this podcast before, how I struggle to know most of that roster because they are boring. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm wondering, would Giants fans be upset? Because it seems like they made the playoffs a couple years ago out of nowhere. They were this fun, fun, lovable team. And since then, we haven't really seen anything. So... 
what is going on there? Like who is to blame for this roster and kind of just their just like lackluster kind of year? Yeah, I think there will be blame to go around. And in fact, maybe missing the playoffs will be good because it'll spur some change. Uh, that's it's a possibility. I thought uh, Grant Brisby's article on it was really great. Grant talked about um, how if you just go back three or four years, you uh, when they hired Farhan Zaidi, you'd say, uh, well, they're entering a rebuild phase in the next three or four years. We hope to get up to 500 and have a bunch of rookies. And uh, if you look at that now, you say, well, they're near five. They've been at 500 the last couple of years and the rookies are starting to get here. So you'd say Farhan did his job. I think one of the things that messes it up is they had that 107 win season. Um, that, uh, you know, kind of made people think that this team could be better than it was. Um, and so I, 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 when I look at the things that make them boring and I do, I, I attend games, I have uh, kids who are watching these games and I talk to fans a, a fair amount about, um, the San Francisco Giants season. I would say that the things that make them boring are mostly just things that they're trying to do to win every game. Um, I think it's triage. It's it's like this is what we've been dealt. They wanted Judge. They wanted Correa. They wanted uh, you know top free agents. They were second for Bryce Harper. You know, so you know this team would have stars on it if those stars had signed with them. Since they haven't, the Giants have said, okay, well we're going to spend our payroll in this way. We're going to get all the second level guys. We're going to get all these useful bit pieces and put them together in a way that might be boring, but we're trying to win games here. That's what we're trying to do. So uh, I guess that would be the only the pushback I have on that. But in terms of the race, maybe losing for them will be good for some change uh, in terms of. Uh, but I don't think it should be changed at the top because I think Farhan has done a lot uh, of good for this team. When it comes to the, the Cubs, the Reds and the Marlins, the Cubs uh, have the hardest schedule. The Reds have the easiest schedule rest of way uh, by win percentage. However, the Reds have the most losses of the three. I did say they were tied at 79 wins, but the Reds have the most losses, so they actually are a little bit behind. Um, and so uh, I'm going to actually take the Cubs based on this fact. They've been, when you look at the underlying features, the best team so far. They have a positive run differential by 90 runs. The rest of the guys we talked about, the Marlins and the Reds, are minus 45, minus 50 in terms of runs scored and runs against. So I think fundamentally the Cubs are a better team. Uh, they did run into uh, some trouble against the D-backs, but uh, I'm going to take the Cubs as taking that final spot in the NL. Super interesting. I want to do a brief interlude here because about, an, I don't know, maybe an hour before we started recording, the Detroit Tigers have made a, a move adding to their front office under President Scott Harris. They've been thinking about adding a, a GM for a while. They went outside the sport, Jeff Greenberg, uh, he was previously the associate GM of the Chicago Blackhawks, but he was in baseball prior to that. He was with the Cubs, which is where him and Scott Harris worked together. Mm -hmm. He was director of pro scouting, director of baseball operations, and assistant GM with the Cubs. So a little bit of a Cubs reunion there and somebody who will kind of facilitate um, what Harris's message is and, and certainly work closely with A.J. Hinch. Uh, manager who I feel like is a good hybrid breed. You know, he's a guy who understands the analytics side and you know has close relationships, uh, certainly with Scott Harris. And, you know, I'm assuming going to eventually have one with Greenberg as well. So a little bit of news on that front. But, you know, I want to get into something that somebody brought up to me yesterday, which is we talked about the Red Sox and Yankees. They're bad. They're fighting it out for the basement. They've both been eliminated. Is it good for baseball? that this Rays 
Orioles, Blue Jays are the three at the top of the division because these are smaller market teams with smaller fan bases? Or is it better when the Yankees and Red Sox are good, you know, globally, probably for money, TV revenue wise? But what is better for the game, in your opinion? Yeah, I think it's an interesting question because you, you, you're you what is better for the game means, you know, what is good for the game? You have to define what is good for the game. And, you know, if you ask Manfred, uh, it's money. <laughs> I mean, that's his job. It's like, you know, make the owners more money. That's that's Manfred's job. And so I think Manfred, uh, if you got him in an honest moment, would tell you that he'd rather the big markets uh, make it because that will mean more ratings in the postseason. Uh, and that would be more money, more money through advertisers. I do think that uh, there's other ways to consider good for the game. One way uh, to consider good for the game is growing the game. Uh, maybe taking those smaller fan bases and making them larger. You know that could also be good financially for this for the league long term because you see that some of these smaller markets do struggle in terms of making money. If we are to believe some of these A's numbers that came out, um, or, uh, or just generally in terms of filling stadiums, that's something we know. We've seen you know Baltimore's finally filling the stadium, right? But there was a lag. Where, you know, even though they were good at the beginning of the season, they weren't quite filling it. So, um, and we've seen, you know, we've seen issues in Tampa and other places with, with regards to attendance. So I would say that there is definitely something good about new blood in the postseason um, and bringing attention from parts of the country that aren't always paying attention. So I, I'd, I'd say it's probably uh, half and half. I think if you ask Manfred, it's, a, it's an easy no. Uh, but uh, if you ask the sort of average fan, um, it might be a, a yes. I mean, just think about all the personalities on this uh, on this Orioles team that are now uh, sort of nationally relevant, and just think about how fun they've been as a team with the whole you know the the water hose thing, and the they just seem like a, a fun team of personalities. That seems like something that you. Know, Baseball can commodify on some level, you know, right? Like I can't, yeah. I can't yeah. think that like, oh God, Baltimore in the, you know, the World Series, that's terrible. I don't think, I don't think you can just reduce it down to that. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's interesting. They had their rookie dress up before this uh, Houston series and they posted on their social media, all the rookies dressed up as Mr. Splash with like floaties on their arms and inner tubes and the guys wrote on the back, like their number and Mr. Splash. So they're really fun. And you see the celebration. <laughs> the yeah, celebration. Yeah, they I actually mean, used the beer bong the way it's supposed to be used. And I think Hyde yes. actually did the beer bong. So that's pretty intense. Michael Elias did. Yeah. John Angelos did. Really? It was like a wild time. Wow. Yeah, it was a wild time. <laughs> and that was just clinching a playoff spot. Now, if they win the AL East, it could be oh, even God, crazier, right? Next? I don't know. I'll have to let you know. Full on frat if, party. If we, <laughs> If we gave Rob Manfred, like you said, a, a lie detector test or, or truth serum, that's what Mets manager Buck Showalter was always like, there should be liar, liar day where everyone has to have truth serum and you have to tell the truth. We were always like, yeah, sure. It's you guys that are lying to us, right? Like, go ahead. <laughs> Good. Uh, if we were to give Manfred this truth serum, I'm curious, would he think it's a good or bad thing that teams that tried to win, the Padres, the Mets, that spent a lot of money, are not making it to the playoffs as well? Is that something that is good for baseball or not good for baseball. 
I bet he would love it. I bet he thinks it's good. So good. One of the things that uh, ownership management has tried to do is limit spending. If you look at the history of the draft, draft slotting, limit spending, international slotting, limit spending, the, the, the luxury tax, limit spending. Well, all of this has been done to limit spending. And you take the two teams that had took that threw caution to the wind, quote unquote, and 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 just really spent the most, and they didn't make it. I think it's great. It's like a cautionary tale to the rest of the owners. Don't don't go outside of the box. Don't go into that third luxury tax thing. You know, like, and so it it put, gives more teeth to their their the the processes that the 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 rules they put in place to keep people from spending. So I think uh, I think he's probably on some happy that they that they didn't. If you if you got the truth out of them. But it's really unfortunate, in my opinion, because you want the ownership group. You want the Peter Seidlers, right? You want the mm. ownership groups that are going all in. You want 30 Steve Cohens or John Middleton. You here is right? you. Like you want those groups. You here is you. Yes. You here is the yes. fan. It's not necessarily Manfred, I don't think. Don't you think? No, I agree Don't you think you. that like yeah. the other owners are like, oh, man, Cohen's really making us look bad. Oh, man, Seidler's just out here spending, man. That just makes us look bad. So, you know, the, if the but, U is a fan, I think the, the Padres and Mets not doing well is bad news. Uh, and yeah. uh, But if the U is an owner, then it's good news. Here's my question, though. If money doesn't equal being competitive, why is there competitive balance tax? Why are these owners paying these young, these smaller market teams money? Yeah. Right? It's, uh, if there's a- money doesn't equate success if i'm a big market owner i'm like why am i paying you like if we want to spend this much we're going to spend this much the whole key was like parity right but we've achieved parity now mlb and rob manfred would argue well maybe we've achieved it through the money they were given maybe but i don't think so yeah i i didn't think there's a paradox there you've uncovered uh some sort of untruths that are being told probably in there but i also think that the way you define parity is important because if you look at teams making the playoffs, yes, uh, small market teams make the playoffs. But if you look at people who have won the World Series, I believe uh, there hasn't been a World Series winner in the last 10 years that was lower half in payroll. Um, and you kind of think of like the A's and the Rays and a lot of these small market teams as teams that have figured out how to win in the regular season, uh, but have not won at all. Um, and you kind of wonder if there's a link there. I mean, to me, if you have a ton of money, one of the things you can buy is depth. And it didn't work out for the Mets, but one thing that they, what I liked about what they did was they brought together all these players in a way where they had an extra player every day, you know, an extra actual real yeah. player. And that's great because if Starling Marte goes down, then you have this extra outfielder that can play, Tommy Pham, you know. Tommy Pham is not going to go to, you know, a small market team uh, at that point of his career, but the the Mets can afford to give him that deal so that they have just an extra outfielder lying around. Um, and so depth is really important, I think, uh, in the playoffs because we just talked about luck and hot and health. And so if you get to the postseason and Starling Marte goes down in the World Series and you can replace him by Tommy Pham, 
you're in a better position than the Rays, you know, if they lose somebody. Wait, ew, <laughs> that was my pushback for you. The Rays have, have better depth than anyone else. I know, it's true. They have all these they young guys. They ruined your argument. Yeah, I they know they did. They lost three-fifths of their rotation. They lost their superstar. Yeah. They've had Tyler Glass now on the IL for periods of time. Like, it's true. Wander but if you look Franco like the, the Reds, gone. the Reds have had to cha- turn to like Stuart Fairchild a lot and they had to claim sure. Hunter Renfro and like they didn't have uh, some of that depth built in and they're a team that has had a lot of young players come up so i still believe that money buys you depth uh and that ends up mattering in the postseason and at different times that's fair but tampa bay does have they're at least a good example of how small market teams can get away with it though i think the injuries are going to prevent tampa bay from winning the american league east they're probably going to fall just shy of the orioles uh who have been pretty remarkably healthy um if you think about it i think that part of that is they're a young group they're an athletic group. I think they've taken advantage of the new rules, which, by the way, I know there's a contingent of players that want them to change for the playoffs. Absolutely not in my book. Keep it the way it is. The game's been crisp, fun, exciting, athletic. Why are we going to drag it out? There's already drama built in and baked into a lot of these games. We don't need the 30-second step out, batting glove stuff. I haven't heard a single person say, you know what I miss? Dead time. Yeah, yeah, and we've I, I've covered I think the the longest World Series game in the history of baseball, and I don't ever want to do that again. Which game was this? <laughs> the uh, Dodgers uh, Red Sox, where Ivaldi like pitched oh. six or seven innings in the middle of it. <laughs> oh, I do remember that game. Did not help that oh. I was hungover, but that's a story for another time. <laughs> was that? Was that the year we did podcasts after every game? Because those games were so long, I considered like napping. Yeah, no, I don't know. Not during that World Series, at least. Because I was there, no. I was on site. But what that that world that was a long postseason too. But you know, I do yeah. I do sometimes wonder um, how much of this is tied into the fact that we work, uh, you know, during these things. If you ask players, if you ask media, uh, they like the new rules, but players and media are all working during these times, you know? So, yeah. uh, I do, I do have some sympathy for fans who have told me like, it's hard for me to go get a beer because, uh, I might miss a whole, you know, I might miss a whole inning, uh, the way it's going right now. And, um, so I don't think that the, pl- I don't think that the fans are, and I've seen some polling on this and the polling is mostly positive, but it's more like 60% like the new rules rather than like, if you poll media and players, it's probably like 90%. So yeah, a little but bit of like, difference. I go there. to hockey games a lot. And like, yeah, I know when I go get something to eat, I may miss half the period because there just aren't that many whistles and mm-hmm. the clock doesn't stop that much. Like yeah. that's kind of it. Like if you go to a football game, you might miss, you're not gonna miss a whole quarter, but you might miss a whole drive. Yeah. It just kind of depends. Right. So, I mean, my solution to that is wait for the vendors who come to you. Wait for the beer guy in the stands. Yeah, yeah, like or get that. yeah. And or you buy two. You buy two at once, which is what we did. I was uh their Sunday, the Orioles game. Uh, uh-huh. my husband and I and uh brought our son and they clinched. We didn't make it for the eleven innings. We made it for like three. He's uh-huh. one. Right. But uh, yeah. you get, but he's still old enough that you can wear him in the front, right? So you got the two open hands. So it's like, all right, let's go. Because <laughs> yeah, you know you're not gonna have a chance to wait back in that line again. Exactly. Yep. Oh God. Uh, but I want to touch on, you know, some of these, we talked about the Orioles and the Reds and these are teams with like terrific young, talented players. Uh, and certainly I think Corbin Carroll, who I think 
last was it last night that he became the first rookie to uh hit, to, to go 25 25 yeah. 50 was it let Wednesday night? I think so. I think and so. He, he had a um, he had a real great uh game uh in a really big moment because uh they were playing the uh, the Giants uh and uh you know on September 20th and uh, he goes 4 for 5 with a home run uh and uh, three runs and an RBI and two stolen bases in a 7 to 1 win that basically cemented them as one of the wild cards and cemented the giants as being out i mean uh that's one thing that i wrote recently about corbin carroll and just about his leadership and his rising to the moment you know i had a really big game against acuña a really big game against betts and he's the guy that sort of stands up in these big moments and and also cares for his teammates outside of the park so i i i see like this real nation young leader he's not like a real vocal like rah 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 type leader but he's a lead by example guy uh and so just a real interesting young talent elite speed way more power than you would expect given his size um and uh and just outsized leadership skills so uh, you know corbin carroll for rookie of the year is the biggest lock i think (laughs) of all of the uh of all the awards but (laughs) Uh, he's not alone yeah. in that. The one thing that's interesting about so many locks. Yeah. Well, also that's interesting about Carroll is, um, you know, these young players in, in these big markets with, you know, these big September races, or they're going to go to the playoffs. We're going to hear all about them and we see them, but I did want to give some love to some of the rookies on teams that have fallen out of the race. Um, and, uh, that, you know, rookies that are good, but you know, not number one. So the reason this came to mind is Spencer Torkelson, uh, the other day for the Tigers, uh, just hit his, uh, I believe he hit his 30th home run. Uh, no, he's still, still at 29, but he's, he's going to get to 30 this year. Uh, he's really turned things around the former number one pick, um, you know, used to be, uh, uh, you know, thought of as a bust, I think. And, uh, this year he's really turned things around. So I wanted to give him some love, but, you know, and locally here in Oakland, Zach Geloff is a guy who has power from, uh, from, you know, from power alley, power alley. And he's sort of, uh, made me think like, oh, this is, this is what the, the A's do. They, they find guys, they find guys and they're going to be I think they're actually going to be good in the next couple of years uh, sometime soon, as impossible as that has seemed over the last couple of years. They've been worse than I've ever seen them, and uh, but I'm starting to see players on this team that are, that are going to be good in the future, and Geloff is one of them. But there's a, there's a bunch of teams, there's a bunch of players across baseball like this. It seems like you could point to one young guy on every team, right? Just the mm-hmm. youth movement is here. And maybe they're not like L.A. De La Cruz superstars, but – they're a really good, young, exciting player, and I think that's what makes the future so bright. You have you have a hell of a list here in the rundown: yeah. Trey Carpenter, Bo Naylor, uh, Logan O'Hoppy. I mean, you know, I think you forget that there's good stuff going on. Uh, you know, that we tend to think of the Angels as just a mess, right? right? And we kind of overlook the fact that there are still some good guys. Yeah, they've over got there. Zach Neto and um, Logan O'Hoppy. Those are that's center. That's uh, that's your catcher. That's up the middle. That's your catcher and your uh, and your shortstop, they're good young players. Uh, Nolan Jones, the, the Rockies are one of the worst teams in baseball, and uh, yet the Nolan Jones is really breaking out there. And the, the last thing I, I kind of wanted to highlight here is just I think it's interesting that there seems to be kind of a, a group of young catchers that's stepping forward. So Bo Naylor, we mentioned Logan O'Hoppy, Luis Camposano, and then uh, Francisco Alvarez on the Mets. 
um, you know, is, is pretty exciting. So that's four young catchers that are uh, basically in their first full years, uh, you know, making it happen. I think you can put Patrick Bailey in that group, at least defensively. He's a real standout. Um, and so there's kind of this uh, new wave uh, of young catchers that's stepping to the for- forefront. So, um, you know, I think part, part of it's the new rules. Uh, you know, there's been there was trying to incentivize uh, teams to to bring up uh, players like this to maybe win some hardware. If you if you have the rookie of the year, you get an extra pick, um, you know. And so I think there has been some incentivization. Uh, the game is getting more athletic, so you want to have young players that are in their athletic peak. Um, and then uh, sometimes it's just uh, just this is what baseball is now, the the waves of, of young talent just that come every year. Well, what's so interesting, and I had a, a GM explain this to me in April, was that like it has shifted now because, one, there's the technology to help guys get better up here at the big league level, and two, the game has gotten so fast and explosive and athletic with these new rules that you're calling up guys if you think they can handle it defensively because defense mm. peaks earlier in in a guy's career. So you want to capitalize on the base stealing and the base running and the defense, and if you think he's mature enough to handle the highs and lows offensively, and it's and you need him, he's coming up, right? Versus, you know, the you know, getting at bats at every level, kind of methodical moving up through the system that we saw almost exclusively, except for, you know, a Bryce Harper situation here and there. That was more the the anomaly, the exception. Now mm. we are seeing kind of a new rule emerge in baseball, right? And of course they're cheaper, which doesn't hurt at all when you're a baseball front office, right? You're like, I only got this guy for how long? You know, they changed the rules on starting guys' clocks. So they have encouraged or tried to encourage, you know, kind of like the Chris Bryant rule, right? Uh, They've tried to encourage these guys coming up and teams not delaying people seeing these young guys for an extra year of arbitration. So I think there's a lot of things at hand for this youth movement. And -hmm. we're just going to continue to see younger and younger players and more talented guys. I do wonder, and this is where the bigger piece, is early specialization contributing to this or Mm. no? Yeah, early specialization is an interesting theory, uh, interesting thing to talk about because there's there's guys um, that uh, you you can bring them up to fill fill a role, right? And you're just like, okay, th- this guy's gonna fit in here. I, I think of it, uh, uh, you know, on the pitching side when we start having these uh, like, oh, I can bring him up and use him for three innings at a time. That's now a new role that we got. This you know this this kind of not a starter, not a reliever thing. And uh, you've seen the Dodgers do that with like Emmett Sheehan and, and, and some of their guys. They bring them up and they they bring them into these like three inning roles. And so there we, we are finding ways to 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 to, to ha- like have a role for a young person that's just ready to you know we can just plug a guy in. That's fine. But I do think um, there's something else going on because if you look at the guys who were just drafted. Um, they are all being pushed super aggressively. So some part of it, the one thing you didn't mention is that the minor leagues got smaller, right? Recently. And so there's fewer seats for people to occupy, right? And so you have fewer, you have fewer minor league teams. So there's fewer stops. And so we, we almost, uh, there was like a low A that there's like a stop that's almost eliminated. So you just kind of, you, you have to push people faster. So if you look at people that were drafted in the first round this year, Wyatt Lankford, uh, I think he just got to triple A. I don't know. The, 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 I know he at least made it to double A. Dylan Cruz, uh, you know, he's in double A uh, and um, yeah. 
Ethan Salas, the 17-year-old catcher that uh, A.J. Preller uh, signed, uh, is already in in AA. So uh, we're seeing teams be more aggressive. And I heard a farm director a while back, and this was like two, three years ago, saying if my uh, pitchers in the minor leagues have major league stuff grades, so if if their stuff is ready, why are they down there? They're not learning anything more down there. And uh, that's another thing is I think our our ability to measure process as a, as separate from results is getting better and better. And so we can say, well, this guy makes good swing decisions. He hits the ball really hard. Why is he down there facing inferior talent? The next step for him is the major leagues. And if, if I got a pitcher and he's got three pitches and they all grade out as major league pitches by movement and velocity and everything, what's he doing down there? I got to get him to the major leagues. Uh, the Mariners look like a team that's really bought into this, where they had they developed all these players. They have a stuff plus number that's very similar to mine, and they developed all these pitchers that are that are part of one of the maybe the best staff in baseball right now. I mean, like, don't you take the Mariners up there with them? And they're all internally developed: Brian Wu, uh, George Kirby, Logan Gilbert. Uh, you know, uh, like they're half their bullpen, uh, and they their team. That's like I think they probably looked at their their players and just said. These guys look ready by by stuff. Let's get them in the big leagues, and it's worked for them. Yeah, yeah, and and the one thing you know they used to say, well, you have to refine command, and you have to do this, and the guys who get hit at an alarming rate up here, command seems to be second to stuff. And I, until that changes in how we evaluate guys, I think you're going to continue to see guys on that fast track, right? Like guys come up, and lots of times they don't know where the strike zone is, but teams are just reliant on their stuff and how electrifying it is and think that, you know, it will come later. They will harness that later versus being a finished product when they come up here. And it's so interesting. You mentioned Seattle. Um, I was talking to someone in their organization earlier this year um, in their on the player development side. And he said, you know, Julio Rodriguez can get better here because we have the tools to make him better. Mm-hmm. Right. That didn't exist 10 years ago. 15 years ago, maybe not even in some organizations five years ago. But now we can call up these Julio Rodriguez, Ellie De La Cruz's, Gunnar Henderson's. I'm like, we know these teams feel confident that they have the ability, the tools, and also the coaches. If you talk to coaches, staffs are bigger. People are, are much more into instruction than they've ever been because these guys have less experience than they've ever had. So that, I think, plays into it as well. How you feel about the coaching level at your big league level Mm-hmm. To get these guys better. I mean, your best right? the coaches. The are good this year. Your best coaches are going to be in the major leagues. It's just, it's just how it is. Yeah. Your best coaches. And then right. uh, on the command side, the thing that's interesting is your the best umpires are in the major leagues, right? And so you could have a guy in the minor leagues that thinks he can command a pitch well enough to use it uh, because the people he's facing uh, make bad swing decisions and because the umpires are bad, right? And then he gets yeah. the big leagues and goes, oh, wow, like, you know, now I know that I can't actually com- command the slider. Uh, an example of this is Logan Gilbert came up with a sweeper uh, because he was taught a sweeper in the minor leagues uh, uh, with the Mariners. And he got to the major leagues and he realized, I can't throw this slider uh, for strikes as, as much as I used to in the minors. People aren't swinging at it as much as they did in the minors. And so he went from uh, that sweeper to a harder, smaller slider that he throws now called a gyro slider. He's throwing that uh, now because he can command it and he's having much more success. So that's something that that's an adjustment that could have only maybe happened at the major leagues, right? Because he, the players and the umpires are telling you 
how good your pitches are, right? And if they aren't, if the players and the umpires you're facing aren't major league quality, then you might not know that you can't throw the sweeper until you get to the major leagues. You try to throw it against them. You're like, oh, this isn't working, you know? So that's part of it too, is the last adjustment period has to be at the major leagues. So, you know, if it looks like everything's ready, you might as well throw them in there because you need to know more about them anyway. Yeah, no, absolutely. It, it's just so interesting, this youth movement. I think we're just at the tip of the iceberg with with what we're going to be able to do. Um, I actually have a story shelved, but it's going to come back at some point in time about this very thing because it's such a huge topic. And it's so interesting. Uh, I remember one conversation with Brandon Hyde earlier this summer where he said, you got to have a lot of patience, right? You got to remember when you have this young of a team, even when they're good, even when they're athletic, they're going to do stupid shit. Right? They're mm-hmm. going to do dumb stuff on the base path, so they're going to make an error. They're going to show their lack of experience, and you have to have coaches who coach, and you also have to have a lot of patience with these guys because they're mm-hmm. not coming up with the five, six years of minor league experience. They don't have that, I spent the whole year at AA this year. Next year, I'll spend the whole year at AAA. Right? So because that has changed, you, you can't replicate all of that as much. They don't have nearly as many games played, so you still have to be patient at this level. We mentioned Corbin Carroll being a lock for rookie of the year. Gunnar Henderson, a lock for AL rookie of the year. Do we think either of these guys have peaked? Like, absolutely not. They're going to keep getting better and better and better at this big league level. And it's so interesting uh, when you look at these organizations to see, like, okay, this guy is good now. He can help us now. But we think we can do X and Y and Z, and he's going to be even better. So let's call him up now when we think he's at 80% of his potential. Mm -hmm. Get that 80% because it's better than anything else we have, and then keep going up and up and up rather than waiting for him to be 90 or 95% completed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it has also to do with, uh, just how, how well you think you can suss out, you know, the aging on the other side and, and, you know, the, the, the veteran players, there is a sad part to it, which is you do have fewer jobs now for the kind of one or two year deals for a veteran hitter at the end of his career, uh, because you're going to bring up the young guy. And, and there are finances involved in it, but I don't think it's all finances because if you do look at the teams that have outperformed uh, their projections, a lot of times they're young teams where it's a bunch of young players that have played together. And that's true of the Diamondbacks and that's true of the Orioles. Um, and, you know, part of that is that they care for each other. That's something Corbin Carroll said, we care for each other outside the field. And that just makes the work environment better. And so... There is uh, a, a non-financial reason to kind of bring your kids up together, um, and, and that gives you a kind of a core of, of of players that that root for each other outside the field and are of similar age and have similar concerns outside the field, and um, you know can go out to dinner together because they don't necessarily have to go watch their kids afterwards. You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a totally, it's a thing totally that happens. Agree. It's a thing that happens if you, the, the veterans have you know families and stuff to deal with the. The kids want to go out after, you know, like you, there's the, the best teams have a kind of a mix of both. But uh, that, that's something that you can think about when in terms of building a roster. Yeah. Uh, one more thing, you know, and then I will let you go. We've got, like I said, 10 days left. Some teams have single digits games left. One thing you're looking for between now and the playoffs. Uh, I'm looking for the uh, Cubs. Pitching staff. I'm gonna. I'm really watching the Cubs pitching staff. You had uh, Spencer Steele uh, was a Cy Young contender, but it's the last couple starts have maybe uh, pulled him out of that. And uh, I think the lineup in in Chicago is good, but 
uh, with Albert, Albert Alzale hurt and uh, a couple other things going on. Marcus Stroman, you know, question marks like uh, I'm looking for the Cubs pitching staff to step forward and pitch their way into the postseason. I like that. I'm looking for the Texas Rangers and seeing if the rabbit, as you called them earlier in the show, is going to be able to come through. Rangers fans have suffered through this long rebuild. They had so much optimism, so much momentum early. Um, as you said, they are slowly getting healthy here. Are they going to do enough to get in? Because they're a dangerous team if they get in. That bullpen is suspect, yes. But there are ways around a suspect bullpen if you can be a little creative in the playoffs. So those are two things we're looking for. Um, feel free to tweet us. Let us know what you're looking for from now until the end of the season. He's at Eno Saris. I'm at Britt underscore Giroli. Uh, if you would like to get access, if you're not already an athletic subscriber, what are you waiting for? This past week alone, a huge, huge story into the Padres collapse by Dennis Lynn and Ken Rosenthal. A great one today as we tape on Thursday about the Mets collapse by Will Salmon and Tim Britton. Um, such a, a good, thorough job by all of those reporters on getting into, as we mentioned, two of the biggest disappointments in baseball. You can get my articles, Eno's articles, so much more good stuff, so many sports. Make sure you get yourself a subscription at theathletic.com. Always sales going on. I think right now it is $2 a month for the first year. Hop on that. We will see you back here next Thursday to recap the last couple days. Talk about the last couple days of the regular season. Time is absolutely flying. Thanks for hanging with us here on the 3-0 show. Always got the green light here. Green light 3-0 and she's gone!